Let's see. Go ahead and stand up again, if you would, please. And let's sing. We're going to sing a beautiful song. It's the chorus of a uh, song called Faithful and True. If you don't know this, try to follow along with me. And let's maybe run through it three times. Just lift my hands to you, cause you're so faithful and true. Lord, I need your hand to hold me, so I lift my hands to you, faithful and true. I just lift my hands to you, for you're so faithful and true. Lord, I need your hand to hold me, so I lift my hands to you, faithful and true. Once more. Faithful and true When I need a hand to hold me I just lift my hands to you For you're so faithful and true Lord, I need your hand to be seated. Oh. 
survey the wondrous cross. Praise the Lord. The kiddos are at this time going to be dismissed to Children's Church. Children, would you please stand? Yes. Just stand. All the kids, just stand where you are. Just stand. Adults, I would like for several adults that are standing near these kids or sitting, would you please stand and just touch them on the shoulder? I want to speak a prayer over them. Would you do that? Find a kid near you, a child near, near you. Place your hand on their shoulder. We're going to speak a blessing over their lives right now. You ready? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we agree with you, Lord, that your will for these kids is that it goes well with them. I pray, God, that you would touch their bodies, you touch their lives. I pray, God, that their obedience at home would be excellent, that they would honor their mother and their father, for this is right in the Lord. I pray, God, that your protection would be upon them. When they leave the home, I ask that the Holy Spirit and a troop of angels would go with them everywhere they go. I ask, God, that you would mark them for your purposes, that you would mark them as protected, Lord Jesus. I pray when they go to school, they not only be a shining example of goodness before you, but rather also, God, they will do well in their studies. And I pray, God, that school won't be a burden to them. It'll be exciting to them. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that everything they're about to hear will go deep in their spirit. And they'll never forget the lessons and the things they're about to experience. So, God, I pray that you'd go with them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Kids, we love you. We believe in you. We think you're excellent. Praise the Lord. I've got eight minutes to deliver a message. I'm going to do my best. But I tell you what, I wouldn't take back anything that's happened, especially when those children begin to come up and stand before God. I hope you saw that for what that was. When children begin to approach the Lord, friend, things can begin to happen. There's nothing like the faith of a child. And if they're learning that at this age... They're going to be mighty when they get to be your age. Amen? Wow. Awesome stuff. Today I want to continue my series on Peter's view of the passion. This is Peter watching this happen. And Peter, the reason I chose Peter is because he's so much like us. So much like us. He's braggadocious. He's got some pride. He puts his foot in his mouth a lot. But at the same time, you can count on Peter. He's going to do his best. He's as sincere as they come. And Jesus loves him a whole bunch. You see where we have a lot in common with Peter. Peter is a good man. Now, last week we learned of Peter's lesson of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Jesus, you won't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, no, no, get thee behind me, Satan. That's your flesh talking to me. It was Peter's spirit that said, you're the Christ." You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that's when Jesus said, only my Father has revealed this to you. This hasn't come from your own intellect. To be a credible witness before a world, we must win this war, a world that needs Jesus Christ. We've got to win this war between the flesh and the spirit. So the average American Christian is miserably losing this war against the flesh and the spirit. Let me again warn you, this will not be the last message you've heard about flesh and spirit. It is a war that we lose. It's a war that we're behind in because we live in the flesh. 
The Lord knows we live in the flesh. But God wants us to walk after the Spirit. And that's not above you. It's not too difficult for you. You absolutely can pull this off. Say this with me. Say, I can do it. You better believe you can. God has given you the grace and the faith to win that war against your flesh, the war of spirit and flesh. Here's the reason people lose this war. They are reckless in their witness. They're not careful of their behavior. They do what feels good. They do what they like. And, hey, I just want to do what I want to do. It's reckless. To win the war between flesh and spirit, to go places where God is, You've got to get past what I and what's me and what's mine. And you've got to get to what pleases the Lord. That's why every Sunday when we come here, say often when I pray, I say, God, we're here for you, not for us. We refuse to be the audience. We refuse to need entertainment today. We are here to bless you. We're here as ministers to lift your name up and to worship before your presence. We are not reckless in that mission of every Sunday. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Number two, people defend their own desires. They're willing to go to the mat about what they want to do and what's important to them. That's one of the ways that we lose this war, by defending our own desires. Next, people despise their purpose and their destiny. You've heard the story of 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 Esau, how that he sold his birthright. And the Bible says he despised his birthright, which was his destiny and his purpose for some lentil stew. And a lot of times we look at our own lives and we are willing to sell everything for temporary pleasure. Don't sell your birthright. Don't despise your destiny. Protect and defend your purpose, and that is to please the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring him glory and bring him honor. Peter, learn this lesson in that moment. The question is, have we learned that lesson? I want to encourage you. Remember that even though you have believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you've got to continually crucify that flesh that is an enemy of God's. So today... We're going to talk about the declaration in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. We find Peter. He's with Jesus. They've, they've gone through this the series. They've, 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 had, they've had communion together with the Lord. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. It's a Job moment where Satan has again approached God and said, you know what, those disciples followed Jesus because he's doing all these miracles. Now, this isn't in the Bible. I'm supposing, okay? I can imagine this, 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 this incident. He comes up and says, all these disciples, they're following Jesus, but he, they've seen him do this, they've seen him do that, they've seen this and that. But you watch. You strike that shepherd and watch these sheep. They're going to scatter. They're going to betray. They're going to leave. They're going to deny. They will not stand with Jesus under pressure. And Jesus, knowing his disciples, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as we, but I have prayed for you. Think about that. Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And then he makes this statement. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is prophetically speaking about what has not even happened yet. But he replied, 
Peter says, and here, here's you and me. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. That's good talk. He's sincere. He really is. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me. Wow, what a heavy to hear from Jesus, the Son of God. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I want you to know something, Christian. Jesus has prayed for you that your faith would not fail. When you come and pray for people, when you walk the streets and pass out DVDs, when you do anything for Jesus, Jesus has already gone to his knees saying, Father, keep her strong. Keep him strong. They love you very much. They're with us, and they get weak sometimes, but I want you to be with them, help them, and strengthen them. Isn't that awesome to think that Jesus is praying for us? You know, the Bible says that he is our high priest. The Bible says that he intercedes for us in heaven. It is him that is praying for us, no one else. It's Jesus, your high priest. I find such comfort that when I'm in trouble, when I'm going through hard times, when I'm having a difficult time or whatever, Jesus is praying for me that I won't fall, that my faith won't fail. Jesus is going to his knees for your character because he believes in you. He's praying that God will strengthen the faith and the grace he's already given you. Jesus is out for you. He's wanting things to go well for you and praying for you. Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Think about this. They've left him. He knows they're going to leave him. But has he forsaken them? He already has plans for them. Isn't that awesome? He knows that they love him. He knows they're going to have a a moment of weakness. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus is going to make up the difference here, though. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples joined in with Peter And they said the same. And if you and I were in that room, we'd have done the same thing. It's not just Peter. It's me too. Was that you, Andrew? You bet. Bartholomew. Hey, I'm with Peter. I'm with Peter. James and John. We are too. We're not going to leave you. But yet, they fled in fear, just like you and I would have. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. I can imagine saying, see, we're still with you, Lord. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus is about to be crucified. The most heinous way to die the world ever known. Crucifixion was so brutal that even the Romans eventually outlawed because of its brutality. Jesus is about to die a horrible physical death. Not only that, he's about to carry the sins of the world to the cross. Every single sin that was ever committed in this world and sins that haven't even been committed as I'm speaking yet. He's about to carry the shame and the guilt and the disgrace of all mankind. And what is he saying? He's saying, I'm with you. I love you. I'm praying for you. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, 
Please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The Bible says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. That's so awesome. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray for me. No, so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus was being their hero, seeing a need and acting on it. He loved them and he was thinking about them in his time of need. Jesus is wanting to make up the difference in their lives during this time. There are his stalwart supporters. These people that says, I'm behind you. I've got your back in Jesus' most difficult moment. Asleep on the ground. Just like you and me. There have been times I said, Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm, 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 I'm and I begin to pray. And why, why is it sometimes we begin praying at 1030 at night? Do you know? Lord, I, I'm going to pray. And there, there are times that I say, God, I'm going to pray. And I, and I start driving somewhere. And I start praying while I'm driving. And that's not bad. But I got convicted about that when one time I called my mom. I said, how you doing, mom? She says, I'm doing fine, honey. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you going somewhere? Why would you ask that? Well, you usually call me when you're driving. <laughs> Busted. I'm thinking, well, if, mom, if mom's saying that, you know, that, what does the Lord think about that? You know? At his diff- most difficult time, here are his disciples, just like you and me, asleep on the ground. But here's the great thing about Jesus. He understands our weaknesses. He gets it. He knows. But at the same time, that's no excuse to accept your own weaknesses. Jesus' understanding doesn't mean that it's fine, just keep doing what you're doing. Jesus understands when you have weak moments, and he loves you past those weak moments. But it is our job to say, that's a weakness. I disagree with that. I renounce that. I don't want that. I want more. I need to be more. I was born for greater purposes than these weaknesses. So I'm going to do everything in my power to overcome them. You know why? Because Jesus is praying for me. He knows my weaknesses. And here I am. I'm going to overcome them by his power. Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. The word of God says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approaches Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss, with a friendly greeting? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And you may be asking, what were they doing with swords? Read the whole story. I skipped some verses here. Jesus said, it's, going to, it's a time for you to carry some swords. They said, well, we've got two or three. And Jesus said, that's enough. So here, they have swords. Is it time to use our swords? And before Jesus answered, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? And I like this last part. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me but this is your hour when darkness reigns. What a pronouncement by the Son of Man on these religious people that were coming to take him. 
Peter is that certain disciple that cut that man's ear off. He is demonstrating his declaration, he thinks. See, I didn't deny I didn't run when the guards came. I'm, I'm defending you. Jesus never asked the disciples to defend him. They had those swords for their own safety. He meant it to the point of violence, Peter did. I'm serious. I'm so serious of defending you. I will even come to violence. But the real test had not yet come. Luke 22, verse 54 through 62. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. You ever followed Jesus at a distance? You ever done that? I remember the first time I ever went witnessing or passing out tracts or something. I was a group about two or three people. I sort of followed at a distance. <laughs> you go ahead and take the first one, you know. Why don't you go ahead and take the second one? We follow Jesus at a distance all the time. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. He's doing good. A servant girl saw him seated there in the, in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, yeah, I recognize you. You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for his accent is the one of a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, Jesus is real close to Peter. They're, they're, he, he, he's watching this going on the distance. These people are watching. And I can just imagine when that rooster crowed, Jesus turns and looks right at Peter. My dad preached this message or, the, or this, this passage. And I love the way my dad approached this. He said, Jesus didn't look and say, told you. I told you so. I don't think that was what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus looked at him and said, hey, I understand. I understand. I love you, brother. Hang in there. Remember, I'm praying for you. Remember, I'm on your side. It's okay. I didn't take that personal. Jesus, our understanding Lord, looks at Peter, not with condemnation, but he looks straight at him and straight through him and says, it's going to be okay with one glance. And he remembered the word of the Lord before the rooster crows today, you're going to disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Mm. Peter knew. He remembered the Lord. And he wasn't looked on upon with disgust, but he was looked upon in support by Jesus Christ. Jesus understood. And Jesus believed in Peter. I like that. Let me tell you something, Christian friend. Jesus understands you. And Jesus believes in you. His very life is inside of you. You're made after his image and his likeness. God breathed into you a living soul. And he knows what you're going through. He has experienced sin when he was on the cross. He gets it. He gets it. Jesus understands you and believes in you. Now is when Jesus' prayers were to kick in for Peter. This is what he was talking about. Peter, it's the restoration I'm concerned about. 
I want you to say the right things. I want your spirit to be humble. I want you to have a contrite heart. It's going to be okay. And when Peter went off, it's not detailed in Scripture what he wept and how he wept, but we know by later accounts, as we'll be talking about next week, that he did the right thing. He thought the right thing. He repented earnestly before God. Christian, I'm going to tell you something. When you let Jesus down, when you disobey the Lord, when you do things that you wish you wouldn't do, I want you to know something. The Lord is on your side. He loves you. He knows you intend to do the right thing. He knows that you want to do the right thing. And he's the last person in the universe to pile on you. Those feelings of condemnation and guilt and and hardness and terribleness and God's mad at me, that's not coming from your father. It's not coming from Jesus who loves you very much. That's coming from the enemy. That's your own flesh telling you, see, I told you, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You're not cut out for this. But Jesus says you are. Jesus says he's with you. Peter was attacked. Peter was broken. And now Peter would be dis- would be restored. What the enemy thought was going to destroy Peter and take him out like he took Judas. Oh no. Peter was restored by the Lord's forgiveness, kindness, and understanding. But Christian, you've got to come to the place where you say, Lord, I was wrong. You were right. Would you please forgive me? But what a lot of Christians do is we go on in our stubbornness. We walk on in our disobedience and our obstinance. Don't do that. Don't do that. Resist the urge. I cannot tell you how many times as a Christian man I've said, God, once again, you're right and I'm dead wrong. I've messed up again. Would you please forgive me? And it's in those moments that I know that Jesus knew my confrontation was coming up and Jesus had already prayed for me. If God be for you, friend, who can be against you? The Bible tells us that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are pulling for us to do the right thing. And that same cloud of witnesses was with Peter. And Jesus was right there in the midst of them. I want to encourage you to understand that God wants to change your heart. And he's going to change your heart when you fall upon your face and weep bitterly before the Lord. After you've been attacked, broken, and now restored. God's going to give you a change of heart. He's going to touch your life through your contrite heart. So, child of God, when Satan sifts you, he's sifting you. What's he doing? He's looking for those lumps in your life. How many many of you have ever sifted before? Do we sift flour still? Okay. You're looking for those lumps. You're trying to get that fine stuff, but you're looking for those imperfections. And when the devil sifts you, He's looking for that flesh in you. And Jesus knows when he's doing that. And when he sees it happening, he's praying for you. He's ministering to you. So what is your response when you're sifted? Peter was correct. Peter knew that Jesus was praying for him. His brokenness changed him. It didn't harden him. He didn't get mad at God and say, God, why'd you let me even come to this point? What's the deal? His brokenness changed his heart. It didn't harden him because he remembered that Jesus himself was praying for him. I want you, as we close today, I want you to meditate and concentrate on the fact that Jesus is praying for you. 
He's not praying for Caldwell. He's not praying for Texas. He's not praying. He is an individual God. He sees individuals. When he looks on us, he doesn't see a nation. He sees individuals because he's capable. He knows your name. He knows every hair that's on your head, if there's many of them there. He knows everything about you. He knows where you're going, where you've been. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your potential. And he is praying earnestly that it will go well for you. Because Jesus believes in you. Do you believe in Jesus? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us and you know us so well. That you're praying for us. You are earnestly pulling for us to do the right thing. And the right thing is what we would do if we knew what you knew. You want it to go well for us. You want us to be happy. You want us to be healthy. You want our joy to be full. Jesus, I just want to thank you for what you've given me, what you provided for me, all the blessings, things you protected me from. And thank you for what you're protecting me from that I don't know what's coming. I thank you that my next crisis, you have already prayed for me. And Lord, I believe in you too. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you're the only way to salvation. And I believe that if David Johnson's ever going to amount to a hill of beans, it's going to be because of you. So I, with this congregation, put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. I'm going all in. And I believe, Lord, that you're going to touch my life and you're going to fulfill your purposes that you have destined for me. I love you and thank you so much for praying for me. In Jesus' name, all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Aren't you?